Real Nerds is a proud partner of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we, we speak. speak. Coming to you from the X Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this John of All Trades podcast promo. Each Wednesday, I bring you a brand new interview with someone fascinating and ask the question we all ask when we meet someone new. Hey, what do you do? It's fun, informative, and it's the 2017 Westward Reader's Choice Award winner for Best Denver Podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, and johnofalltrades.us. Oh, hi, podcast listeners. There's many ways you can listen to the Real Nerds podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe on Stitcher Radio. You want to send us a Twitter message? You can do that. It's so easy, at Real Nerds. Like us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. You can visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com, where there will be a lot of articles for you to not only read, but to listen to our previous shows. You can also call us, 720-6Nerds5. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Brian. No, that's this is my announcer voice, and you're listening to Real Nerds Podcast. Should I do this as my real self? Oh, shucky darn. Hi, this is Brian Cummings. You're listening to Real Nerds Podcast. Okay, do it straight. Hi, this is Brian Cummings, and actually, you are listening to Real Nerds Podcast. Send money and real estate. Hey, everybody. Here's an exciting Real Nerds interview that we did at Denver Comic-Con 2018. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Real Nerds Podcast, live at Denver Comic-Con 2018. And for the sixth time, George Jonti, you join us on a Sunday morning in the beautiful Mile High City. How are you today? Very good. It's become somewhat of a tradition. It I is. Think. It's like it's my tradition, and I, I, I love it because they announced you a little late this year. I never know if I'm coming back, to be honest really? with you. So I, I have no say in the matter. Really? You know, I'm always, hey, if you guys want to invite me, I'm, I'm more than happy to come back. Because we want you here. I do. I try to. I'm, I'm, I'm a very grassroots kind of a guy. I try to do a quid pro quo type of thing. And I, I offer up artwork or, hey, if you guys need me to do something, yeah. I don't mind trying to you know, sing for my supper. So this year, yeah, I did the uh, the cover or so- yeah. I did something for them, and then they used it as a cover and some of a shirt or something. Yeah, it's like uh, that. the uh, like the little kid action team. Yeah, exactly. That they have, uh, um, yes. and it's kind of cool because that's kind of is that a new style that you've been doing? Because it's like the cartoon style. Yeah, it's uh, it's I mean it's an it's a style that exists. Mm-hmm. I certainly didn't create it. Um, it's something I, I realized a couple of years ago. Somebody had said, "Oh, you know, that's actually called chibi." It's a Japanese term for taking something real and making it small and cute. Oh. (laughs) So. I thought it was just like, it reminds me of Calvin and Hobbes kind of. Yeah. It's the little body with the gigantic head. Exactly. So that that idea has been around forever. Really? It's just, I guess, the Japanese have given it a name. And to me, just being an ignorant American, I'm like, it's Calvin and Hobbes. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I actually, I was influenced by a French artist on that score. Uh, who had been doing it for years. Uh, a lot of people look at, uh, I can't remember his name. It's Scotty the problem Young? of doing this with so uh, Scotty, Scotty Young. Young. Yeah, a lot of people look at Scotty Young and think, oh, my God, he invented this, and he didn't. 
Uh, it's been around for a while. He just made a lot of it. Yeah, he just made it. <laughs> he popularized it. Yeah. Sure. So, he did, but you know what's? I do have uh, some Scotty Young when he did Spider Man and Deadpool, and it's it's still kind of cartoony, mm-hmm. but it's not like that goofy. No, he made a conscious effort. Yeah, because yeah. I remember seeing him when his career was first starting, and um, it, yeah, it didn't look like that at all. So, so well, uh, you so last year you finished Serenity, mm-hmm. and then you went on to the American Way. Yes. And now you're finishing up Buffy again. Yes, I'm putting an end you're, to all of it. You're, putting in, you're just like, you're just killing everything. Killing uh, it. That, uh, that's pretty cool, though, because, you know, I was looking at the solicits. Obviously, they announced it a while ago that this is the last hurrah for Buffy. Mm-hmm. And it's only four issues long, and then that Joss is coming back. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty cool. I have to, Joss asks for you, doesn't he? He, well, I was told he personally asked for me. But, you know, in, in the scheme of things, you wonder, did you, did he say that? Or were you guys just really saying, how do we get him where he can't say no? <laughs> Let's say Joss really wanted him. But, I mean, Joss and I have always had a good working relationship, so I'm not surprised. So Dark Horse is like, ah, man, we need Georges to draw this book. <laughs> I mean, if you don't want to do it, fine. I mean, Josh just said, you know, you should do it. But, Whatever. I mean, if you don't want to, it's... But that's kind of cool because you just did a couple fill-in issues in the last season, and I think you've kind of – are you known as the Buffy guy now? I, you know, and it's funny with those fill-ins. I wouldn't have done that had I known I'd be back the very next season because it, it sort of looks like, dude, you know, you keep coming to this party, but nobody's asking you here. You, you keep bogarting our party. And, uh, plenty of people are asking. Yeah. <laughs> and I, w- I was happy to do fill-ins because I did have the time, but I thought, yeah, it might have looked a little better if – I'd stayed away for a while, and then for the last big hurrah, oh, we're bringing back Georges. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I had no idea uh, that was going to happen, and I, I love the character. I hate people are like, no, you got to distance yourself to become more popular or to become more of a name or, you know, raise your stock level in, in a way. And I just, I, I'm, I'm biased. I love the character. I love those characters, Spike, Willow, all of them. But you really don't have, because, I mean, you've also done Deadpool, yeah, Wolverine. Yeah. I mean, so you've done big characters. And you just got to find what you like, correct? Yes and no. I, I've realized you stick around long enough in any profession, you realize, you know, you become you become the thing you hate, as the term <laughs> term goes. And I realize a lot of people don't remember. You know, like I'll sit here, here at the show, and I'll have trades of uh, Gambit or Deadpool or whatever. Mm. And people go, oh, wow, you did Deadpool? Oh, that's interesting. And, of course, I'm sitting here going, yeah, I was on it for like a year. It was, you know, this and the the first time he met with the Punisher or there were some milestones within those books. And you realize, yeah, people are coming and going. They they just don't have that knowledge. And they like like in the acting profession, they people will forget you if you stay away long enough. In your Deadpool run, I, I don't even I'm not I don't read Deadpool. Mm. Um, so was he the. Where he is now, where he's the fourth wall talking guy, and back in the day, yeah, I, I want to say he was, he became that character. Uh, and Frank Thierry was the writer, mm-hmm. and if you know Frank, he's a great guy, very, and very that's pretty much his sense of oh, humor yeah. too. So oh, yeah. I can definitely see Frank, and and at the time, I think Jimmy Pomiati was a part of it as well. Though those guys are like that, they're very much New Yorkers that mm-hmm. are you know very very deprecating and and all of that. So I can see that character having evolved to that breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, it's funny because you know Palmiotti just got done on Harley Quinn, mm-hmm. and then Frank Thierry took it over. And you can hear like I, I always when I read them, like, is this taking place in current continuity or yeah. is it just whatever? <laughs> we'll throw whatever we want and let it stick. And I'm sure with those guys, there are echoes and it, of it, all of it. It reminds me of Deadpool because it's just I mean. It, 
it, there's be some issues where he dies, um, he kills somebody, and then they're just back, and you know, oh, I guess this <laughs> doesn't matter. Um, I haven't read the Harley Quinn stuff, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, it's, it's just pretty, knowing those guys. It's pretty interesting. Um, but the Buffy stuff is interesting too because they've just been teasing it a little bit, and it takes place a mm-hmm. year after the last season. A year after, and last. your variant for issue number one, mm-hmm. she's holding a baby. She is very intimately. Yes. Where did she steal that baby from? <laughs> from the demon world. And <laughs> actually, that sounds very plausible. Uh, apparently, uh, Connor. I think, I think you actually just gave us a scoop. Okay. Connor went back and he had a kid, and oh. Oh. <laughs> she stole <Potter>. it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's going real deep for you, Buffy fans. Oh, that's <laughs> really deep. That's uh, Buffy Angel season two. Season was it two? I think it's two because doesn't think he? Because yeah. he gets the baby at the end of season one, and then it takes him yeah. to the demon dimension. Doesn't come back as an no, adult. No, doesn't. I thought or is um, it two and three. Yeah, I thought what's her name killed herself later on. I don't remember because that's her no. baby, right? That yeah, was Connor, was now, her now baby. I really got to think about Dr- it. Uh, Darla. God, I couldn't never yeah, remember Darla's, her name because man, because Angel's a great show, but mm-hmm. it's it's a lot like Twenty Four, yeah, where it's every episode <laughs> yeah. is a, is a uh, it was like one long yeah. episode, uh, except for the last season, which was brilliant. But and to be yes. honest, that's like my least favorite part of that show, so I try not to remember <laughs> it. Uh, is Connor? Uh, oh yeah, what you don't like what? Connor? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the Wesley Crusher of Angel. You are the first person to ever say that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Wow. The, that's uh, a scoop on Real Nerds podcast oh. of a show from 18 years ago. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I, I, I Someone appreciate doesn't it. Like Connor. I also want to talk about. I, I found out last year is your love too for like supernatural Marvel from the Silver Age. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, you know, because I'm always, well, last year you did a sweet Satana piece for me, and I remember I asked you if you knew who Satana was. And you looked at me like I was an idiot. <laughs> I, was like, I know who Satana is. Where did that, where did that come from? Uh, what, my love for, for, love for the, the horror. I, I, I'm being a weird kid, maybe it's just <laughs> one of those. They just look like cool characters, you know. All those guys who were created generally around the same time, like your Ghost Riders and your Tigras and your Satanas and and Vampirellas and all of those guys. They were just, I guess, they were filling that niche because. And I don't want to go into it, but that whole time period in time where horror comics were banned in, in right. comics and the, the, the comics code wouldn't let regular comics do it and then finally they eased their restrictions in the 70s and Marvel started putting out a bunch of black and white horror comics and I think yeah because of that a lot of those guys got created and just got put into production as a kid you like what's weird you know when you're, yeah. you're a little kid seven six seven years old you look at somebody with a flaming skull and you're like oh my god that is the coolest thing in the world <laughs> uh, or you look at a really hot girl which of course as a kid you don't know that she's really hot but there's something <laughs> about her that attracts you to her and she has hooves for feet oh my gosh that's <laughs> yeah. so cool yeah it, it's I think there's something provocative about it too where it's those those comics come in magazine form yeah and, and they're black and white and mm-hmm. i mean there's people that get their throats ripped out in them and mm-hmm. it's also drawn by gil kane and john romita and you're going and you're thinking wow these guys are just amazing artists yeah and it really appeals to me on a primal level i guess yeah me too I, I that's why i loved it and a lot of those books because they were black and white they had the opportunity or they gave the artists the opportunity to really stretch their their legs on things that where they were maybe like hey i know this is a pen and ink color business but i do some gray tones i like to do wash i like to do little things here and there and if you'll notice a lot of those books a lot of those artists were doing inking of of themselves or doing gray tones and things like that so they really felt they could do more artistically than they could in the four color marvel comic section anyway 
And it goes to nowadays, uh, which was popular last year, and you mentioned it when I was talking to you earlier, is, is the coloring books. They're, yeah. uh, you've noticed that they've kind of waned off, but mm-hmm. the art in them is so cool when it's just the black and white, and it strips them down. I'm a fan. I know most people who may not get into art as much or like art because it's, it's everything. It's black, white, color, all of that. And that's fine. But, yeah, as an artist, I find I tend to look more at the black and whites and those artist editions that IDW has been putting out are just beautiful. You know, I, I, I begrudgingly pony up 100 140 150 <laughs> bucks for each book, but it's just such a thing of love that I look at. I got recently, um, which IDW didn't do, but uh, Love and Rockets did one as well with uh, Jaime Hernandez. Uh, and it's just gorgeous. You know, you just sit there going. And it's. Even at my seasoned age, and I've been in the business quite a while now, I still look at certain people and think, God, wow, that's magic. How do they do that? You know, that looks so cool. And when you get these books that are basically reprints from the actual page, you realize there is no magic. It's just there. And you just, it's talent. Whereas talent can never really be defined. You know, you can't say... Here, put uh, you know some cinnamon and some nutmeg and put it, stir it, and then you'll have talent. You know, you can't make talent. Talent has to be there. You can harness it, you can develop it, but you can't make it. And when you look at these pages of artists, if, if we're talking about art, that talent is there, and you see it. And you know, I'm always amazed, even though you know, I have some talent. I look at other people thinking, "God, you guys are amazing." Would you ever want to do just a black and white book? Um, well, it's, it's funny you say that. I think most artists, when they draw, <clears throat> they draw in terms of black and white. They don't necessarily see the color until it's done post. So everything I do, I turn it into the inker, in, in this case, or a lot of artists, they may ink their own work. But when they do it, and you've come by, and you've, you know, you've yeah. got original pages, mm-hmm. that's pretty much how we understand it. It's only until it's printed that we're like, oh, wow, look, it's in color. You know, that thing has been added, but usually it's we as artists really think in a black and white world. And I think that's how we perceive our work. Do you pick the colorist for your books? Uh, Sometimes I have an influence. I can say so-and-so is really good or or that, but I'm a big fan of whoever is best for that project. Or if they're willing to, you know, have some criticism and say, hey, we're looking at uh, uh, a perfect example of the American way. And help me that I don't know the colorist's name, but when he was coming on, he was like, well, what would you guys like? How, you know, how do you want this book to look? And I said, well, you know what? This takes place in the 70s, and I think it would look really cool if it had more of a hundred bullets type of a coloring to it, where it's a lot of flat tones and, and very monochromatic colors almost. And they, the colorist took and run with it, and I think that book, as a result, has a very nice, unique look to it. I agree that it's, you know, I was just going to say it's kind of a different book than I'm used to reading from you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because, well, I mean, one is written by John Ridley, who went to, who won an Oscar. Exactly. So he's at, for an amazing film. So it's so he, he has a different voice than I think most people are used to when yes. you read a comic book. Mm-hmm. And it's called The American Way, but it's a different side i guess yeah to what you're used to when you see patriotic stuff yeah now he wanted to be very political obviously and just he loves comics and but his world a lot of it he was a cnn commentator for uh many many years and he's just very much into the pulse of what the politics of our world is 
And he loves superheroes. So you figure, <laughs> oh, let me take that and let me take that, put it together. And he came up with the American way. So It's yeah. a really interesting book. It's, it's, uh, when it works. When it works, yes. yes. I, I'm not, and I, don't, and I love the fact that we can be honest here, and I don't ever intentionally sandblast anybody. But I think the, way, the same way that the new Black Panther series was introduced... They were trying to do the same thing, make it very political, Wakanda, the social, economic play, uh, makeup of it all, and, and get an amazing artist. Brian Stelfreeze was the artist, and, but oh my God, that book was so boring. I tried to read it, and every month I pick it up and read, and I'm like, I really just want Black Panther hitting people and, and fighting yeah, Claw yeah, or right. whomever else. It's funny you say that, because I felt the same way, and I went, I went and, because I, I pick up comics if they're if it's cool and I know the character roughly, mm-hmm. I'll, and they have a new one, I'm like, I'll read it and see what it is. And I had a hard time getting into the new Black Panther. Yeah. And so when we went and saw Black Panther, they have at Alamo. They do like a little pre-show. And they oh have, yeah. Yeah. They have uh, so on the screen they'll have like this is a history of Black Panther, oh, and cool. on it they had from uh, Jungle Action yeah, yeah. where he's just socking the KKK. <laughs> uh, and I go, you know what? I'm gonna go find that comic. And I did. <laughs> uh-huh. And I read. I'm like, this is a Black Panther I want in comics. Uh-huh. The, they don't call it the KKK. They call it no. the Klan. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's the KKK. And he literally goes down and just whoops ass. <laughs> I'm like, this is awesome. Which, well, yeah, because Marvel didn't really want to become too political yeah. because they recognize kids read this. We don't want to steer them in any one yeah. particular way where the, you know, they, the comics code will really come down on us. And funny enough, towards the late 60s, the Black Panther, they changed his name because of the Black Panther movement. Yeah. In, in in America, the Black Panther changed his name for a little while. Um, I can't remember what, what it was. I but don't either. They said it was like the Black was... Cat or, or it was something similar, but it wasn't the Black yeah. Panther because of the political relationship. But it, that's, I mean, that's what you want. I, want to, I wanted to see the Black Panther just beat up the KKK. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's like my dream. Well, I think you've got to find that, that nice balance between... Between the medicine and the fun, right? Yes. Like, if the whole book is nothing but the politics of this stuff and having these series, like, yeah, that can slow it down. Mm-hmm. You want to figure out how, like, I mean, I think the, 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 the movie actually, I think, does this really well. Like, that's mm-hmm. a big action movie with big action villains. But at the, at the core is this conversation about, you know, whether or not you, you interfere and whether or not you right. give aid to other countries. And, like, that big political question, as well as, like, you know, I don't know. 150 years of <laughs> racial tension in America. Yes. But there's a lot of politics there, but at the end of the day, you're having fun watching this action movie, and it's not till you leave the theater that you're thinking about yeah. it. And that's a really tough balance. And to I think find. the writer, who was a very political writer, mm. hadn't written comics. Oh. And there is a different beast, as oh, you yeah. all well know. You yes. guys have treaded into that field. There is a different politics in comics. Oh. If you're going to do superhero comics, obviously comics are like any other print medium. You can write about war and peace or people in space it doesn't matter the subject but if you're going to do superheroes you know you there is sort of something you should adhere to at least a, a little bit and i felt that was lacking in black panther yeah i agree i, I just want to see the black panther get shot but it bounces off of them <laughs> and then chase bucky across like rooftops <sighs> that's the only oh, problem God. i had he's just becoming too strong too <laughs> he, it, you know he is he's he's very much i think I, especially in the movies i think because they've sort of they keep ramping the heroes yeah. up and you have to figure out like well how how do you get an audience to accept that that 
you know, Thor is fighting right next to Black Panther. Mm -hmm. You have to give him all of these powers that make him basically a superhuman. But remember when we were kids and we were reading comics and they all got together at some point? You understood that Spider-Man was not on the level of Thor. Right. So you never expected, you know, Spider-Man to go head to head or... Or if it was something big, he'd say, hey, Thor, you take this one because right. I'm going to take this one. Right. You, you fight the big flying yeah. guy. I'll go <laughs> wrangle up these, you know, these yeah, clay fighters. I think that's, too, why stories like nothing stops, it, nothing, no one can stop the juggernaut is so great mm-hmm. with Spider-Man. It's because he's so outclassed. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, um, and that, that I, sometimes they get away from that. Mm-hmm. And, and even more, this yeah. one, the last movie, I just hate the idea that all the pa- the panther had to do was touch his necklace and his suit is on you know it's like yes. you're taking away that element that sort of yeah. human element like all right let's go into battle suit up yeah like, all right well shit all right, hold on <laughs> you know, it's going to take me about five minutes to do it not that you have to spend those five minutes doing just yeah. cut away and then cut back oh, oh okay, yeah they dressed right. all right good right not we all like, in, in comics we understand the page turn in exactly. films we understand the cut like just yeah you can totally get away with it anybody ever said god that was so stupid that superman went into a phone booth and oh changed, okay you know? here i'll disagree with you there are plenty of stupid youtube videos i'm sure someone said how did they change their suit so fast like yeah uh it's that's definitely been criticized at some point See, and, and you, but and you, it's not a good criticism it's just happened uh-huh. But, yeah, you need that because I, I cried in Spider-Man Homecoming yeah. when he comes in and he says sorry to um, uh, Liz and he runs out and he rips up his Spider-Man. Exactly. Thing. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh. And you get the tension of things like the, the spoilers, but the scene at the end when he comes home and he's got and the he's, suit on right, and he's got to take May, it off yeah, and yeah. it may seize him, right? Yeah, like, yeah. The, you're, you're exposed there, to, in, I, you know, when there you have is a, a real. There's a realism to that. Yeah. Obviously, it's not real, but it, there is a realism to that because we can associate with that. If we were ever blessed with whatever, bitten by a radioactive <laughs> spider, yeah. we know that at some point I may not be able to climb walls as well, but there will be some point when I'm taking on or taking off my costume in very much the same way he's doing that. Yeah, And it has the inherent danger of who knows I'm Spider-Man. Well, I love the idea that you, you have, if you give somebody powers or do things and there are no consequences. I can't relate to that. Yeah. I could always relate to Spider-Man because when he was Spider-Man, he had to web up his clothes, put them somewhere, because at some point he's going to come back to them right. and put them back on. Yeah. That little sense of reality always stuck with me because I could appreciate it. Not like, okay, I'm Spider-Man, uh, or I thought it was a cop-out, but I totally got it when the Invisible Woman was, oh, no, I wear my costume underneath my real clothes, and I just keep my real clothes invisible while I'm fighting. Uh, yeah, but, you know, at some point you're going, God, I feel like I'm wearing a jacket. Oh, wait, I am wearing a jacket. <laughs> oh, so funny. those little I, bits I miss in comics so My much. favorite one was always when Spider-Man would, like, he would web the camera up nearby. Yeah, exactly. Because he needed to get photos of himself because mm-hmm. he needed to pay rent. Exactly. <laughs> like, that was always one of my favorite little, like, but so you can worrying about. That. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You were like, oh, man, how is he going to get photos? I'm not worried about whether or not he's going to, f- you know, defeat the scorpion. I'm worried about whether or not he's going to defeat the scorpion in front of the camera. <laughs> and then he's going to get bad pictures. Right. Yeah, and he's going to get a good shot or something. Yeah, yeah, they're not going to be good enough. Right. Yeah. You know, people are going to think he's a bad, he's a bad photographer. Has another ha- heart attack. It's not his fault. And I hold true. That is why Spider-Man, I feel, as always been that popular character or I guess I would say Marvel's most popular character for for so many years is because of that realism I'm using finger quotes you guys can't see that but that (laughs) sense of realism that they injected I I think that he's my favorite and so I'm always biased towards him Mm -hmm. but I think the relatability to the characters is so important and you know I I talk about it a lot I think sometimes comics get too dark yeah you know and I I don't like um, 
everyone talks about how great the Superior Spider-Man run is, where Doc Ock switches brains with Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and Spider-Man's kind of like evil at the same time. And in one issue, I think it's issue six, he shoots somebody. Oh, really? And I, I was done. I don't care what you do oh, after wow. that. Those, because those weeks on the podcast were so much fun because he was just angry. Every really? movie was bad. Really? He's like, the world has gone to shit. Spider Man is bad. Well, it just it just oh. it just irritates me. I know they're trying to do something new, and I you know I try to keep an open mind because I know in comics eventually it's just going to go back. Yeah, but it, it's it it he was it, so it ruins, impatient for that. It, yeah, oh. it ruins the core of who the character is. Yeah, and oh. and I missed it. And I'll never forget when issue seven hundred came out and he dies in it. And but Doc Ock switches. Bodies. Mm-hmm. I call it the Freaky Friday Spider-Man. Right, right. And I right. was reading it. And I'll never forget. I was in my chair. I was reading it, and I was just so pissed <laughs> as I'm reading it. And and my wife looked at me and she said, "Are are you okay?" And I'm fine, because <laughs> I guess my she told me my face was red. Oh man, I was furious. Um, but I guess you know what, Dan Slot got me. In a, to have an emotion that I haven't had in a while reading yeah. a comic book. Yeah, you could Fury. Fury. <laughs> and, and then it paid off in the end because when he comes back, there's this great scene in, uh, I think it's 31, Superior Spider-Man, where Peter Parker's back, and the Green Goblin says something to him, and he says this quip to him, mm-hmm. and the, the, the artist renders a Green Goblin's face like he now he knows that he's back to being Peter Parker, uh, and it's beautiful. Oh, so mm-hmm. I guess that two and a half years is worth it (laughs) it's funny that you say that because i I did an interview yesterday with uh, a couple of guys who were here and they were talking about how much they love the marvel tv show and especially those those heroes Mm -hmm. the the you know um the luke cage show daredevil Mm -hmm. specifically because and i think spider-man fits into this is because those are heroes that often are 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 fighting on a local community Mm -hmm. level that makes them way more relatable. Like they're actually in my world rather than they're not saving the world. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's a huge difference as well. Yeah, you know? I could yeah. appreciate it in the Daredevil Netflix series. Yeah. He got his ass kicked yeah. oh, a yeah. lot. Oh, you yeah. know, and you're going, yeah, that, I think that's the one thing that most of us would not want to do <laughs> to be heroes is thinking, I'm going to probably get my ass kicked a lot. You know, yeah. nobody <laughs> wants to go into a situation knowing there's potential pain yeah. that can a result of this. And you can appreciate those heroes can and frank miller used to love to do that yes. he'd always have daredevil in a cast or you know eye patch or, or things where they were he was just healing from some sort of a wound yeah and i again very relatable because you're going wow that's something i you know everybody's had a cut everybody might have been in a fight or gotten hit or something like that so and i, I learned something new about you too george you Uh-oh. also uh, collect fantastic four what is it about really? Fantastic Four that, is, <laughs> that you love? That was like my one title. When I was a kid, like the first comic I ever read was a Fantastic Four and my favorite character. And again, we're, we're talking the sensibility of a seven-year-old or something <laughs> like hey, that. Hey, it's fine. Uh, but that notwithstanding, I always thought the series was very, very good and very adult-like. Uh, but I was a huge Thing fan. And yeah. You know, the Fantastic Four, as with everyone, you know, they were just that different group. They were a team, but they were unlike, you know, the Avengers or the Justice League or any other team, the Teen Titans, that you had seen previous. And it was just something I I caught a fancy for. And in my collecting, and I'm sure as you guys get older now, your collecting has become more discriminating. You don't just collect anything now. When you were a kid, you'd collect everything. Oh, yeah. Uh, Oh, you you mean single. When I was single, single. I collected anything. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, where you are allowed to. Right. <laughs> and now my, my discrimination with collecting is pretty much just getting all of the Fantastic Four, which is, is going to be a feat unto Oof, itself. Yeah. And by and large, I need probably about 60 more issues to complete my collection. But wow. 
they're like the first 60 issues right. to complete my collection. I, I, right. go, I was telling you, I go through that with Spider-Man because now I'm at a point with Spider-Man that, I mean, I get them every month, and so I have, I don't know, 600 in a row. You got all the titles like yeah. Parker and oh, yeah. Web of and oh, yeah. all that? So, um, he I gets have, he gets the books that don't like if no the, if Spider Man's on the cover or Green Goblin's on oh, the cover, still, but it's a really? different book. Go that route? Uh, well, his his comic like the guy at the comic book shop just knows to pull those. Yeah, pulls them for me. Right. Um, every once in a while, I mean, I there's this awesome Punisher with a Green Goblin. Okay. That uh, I would never just pick up the Punisher. But <laughs> he's, he's shooting the Green Goblin on the cover. I'm like, all right, I'm interested. Uh, <laughs> and then the book was meh. <laughs> but but, no, cool. I, but yeah, and you know, you get to a point. So with amazing, like I, I have a smattering. Like I have twelve and fourteen and twenty two, and that's a great title just in yeah. general to collect because yeah. mm. much like the Fantastic Four, all the characters that were created within those titles uh, speak volumes even to this day. Yeah. But now I'm at a point where like I really like I love Mysterio and uh-huh. I, I want his first appearance. But it was the issue before the Green Goblin, and oh. now they're starting to ramp up that he's probably going to be in the new Spider-Man movie. Oh. And I, I mean, getting one that's in horrible condition still like a grand. Really, that yeah, much? And man. Like, oh man. And, and and you get and then you know it's I need the first appearance of Sandman, and that's four. And oh yeah. And the I mean the Amazing Spider-Man one. I'll never forget, I was here one time, and they had Amazing Spider-Man 1 with half the cover missing, and it was still <laughs> oh, like $3,000. Oh. I'm like, Ugh. but when, when they get that old, I think you only want the cover, really. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. Gonna, All gonna I'm going to do is like put it in a frame <laughs> exactly. and make sure it's in a dark place. <laughs> like, like the Mona Lisa. It's going to yeah. be temperature control. Yeah, what's what's that closet? That's, yeah. The, yeah. that's the room for looking at Spider-Man. <laughs> I had a friend who was about five years older than I. We met when I was a teenager. And he had collected comics. He was already in his 20s then at that point. And, of course, in your 20s, you're like, no, it's not cool anymore to collect comics, whatever. <laughs> but he had collected comics when he was a kid. So at one point, I went over his house. I'm like, dude, we got to go through. Because he's like, I still got my collection down in the basement. I don't know what I'm going to You know, whatever. <laughs> I don't collect comics anymore. You know, that's just a kid thing. And so, all right, look, I'll come over. We'll go. We'll look. We'll just weed out all the, the crap. And then I'll tell you what's important. Because, you know, he'd been out of the game for a while. And it's it's so endearing because as we were down there and, and we were looking at his collection at some point, and I'm sure everybody here has done that, you lift out, you know, you have your long box and you lift out, that's in a bag, of course, and you see that sense of nostalgia that wipes over you of where you'd gotten this book or when you read it the first time. Yeah. And as we were going, we were our intent was to get rid of all of this stuff. The irony is that all I did was really reinvigorate his fa- his love of comics, and he started collecting again. Yes. Yeah, because he couldn't get rid of it. Because he's like, he had a very good collection of Amazing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he had number one, but it was you know it's a very nice collection. And yes, he's looking at it going, oh man. And then he's looking at it going, I only need like two or three more issues here, or two or three more issues to complete that. So instead of getting rid of them, he's like. All right, uh, I'll go with you to the next show, and we'll we'll just see what happens. <laughs> he's been collecting ever since. Again. I, so I've been trying and very unsuccessfully. So I I have like ten or twelve long boxes again because I'm really wow. I, I collect Spider Man. Right. So I have other th- I have Batgirl. I love Batgirl, but like, are I, there ten or twelve long boxes of Spider Man? Just him? No. So it's about eight. Okay. But at the same time, so I'm the only person. So I I would have him like here's Web, and then like. I don't know, Sensational would be in the same one. I'm like, that's kind of annoying. So a couple of weeks ago, I said, you know what? I'm going to put them in alphabetical order, and I'm going to make them all the Spider-Mans near them, and I'm going to do it. So what happened is, is I made a bigger mess, and my wife is like, "How? you're the only person I know who has set out to organize this stuff, 
and now you have like comics all over the place. Because I would do the same thing. I'd be flipping through. I'm like, oh, this is where Spider-Man teamed up with Gambit and Web of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't remember this one. And I read it. It's not that great. But I'm like, oh. Yeah, and you're like two hours later. Yeah. Like, oh, God, I'm still yeah, here. And I'm I haven't done here. anything. And there's yeah. a, they're everywhere. And, um, yep. I don't think I'll ever get rid of that, and my wife does not appreciate it. <laughs> I, I had to, I had to really cap myself because, of course, Fantastic Four went, I don't know, four hundred issues or something. I told myself, yeah, I'll collect all the way up until the end of John Byrne's run, mm. and that that was it because that was sort of my high school years. And when he finished, I think I was finished or going into college or something. So I thought, all right, that's a nice cap because after that, I thought well, it kind of went in weird directions. So. That's where I sort of said to myself, all right, whatever happens, this will be my collection. Anything else will just be kind of filler, not really my my, my love for it. Yeah, it, it's, so now because the Spider-Man that I need are so out of reach, I've been going back to those horror comics. But some of those are pretty expensive, too, because, yeah. I mean, in The Werewolf by Night, I think it's 32 is the first appearance of Moon Knight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's, I mean, uh, that's a really expensive comic mm-hmm. and very hard to find. Yeah. I don't think I've ever actually physically, I've seen Amazing Fantasy. I've never seen Werewolf by Night yeah. with the first appearance of Moon Knight. Have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. I know someone who has it now. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, so I've been kind of replacing that with uh. these horror comics because they're fun. Yeah. And makes my wife mad. <laughs> <laughs> I had a bout of insanity. A couple of years ago at a Comic-Con where some guy was selling Fantastic Four number one for $5,000. And it was, you know, it was like maybe a grade five. It wasn't obviously a near mint or, yeah. or any of that. But it looked good. You know, it, it, it looked good. It, it was good enough. And you all know with your yes. saying things are getting so expensive, you yeah. have to compromise. It looked good enough for me to go, I can, I can accept that in my collection. That I'd be happy. And I swear to you, for that whole con, I was walking around in this fever of, all right, if I put a couple thousand on the credit card, whatever I make here at the show, I can probably give it to him. And, and, and the, I, I was asking the guy, do you take layaway? And I was just doing everything I could. Ultimately, I didn't get it, unfortunately. And I, I really do feel sad about that. I don't. My pocket doesn't yeah, hurt as yeah. much. Yeah. It's probably, probably the smart decision, but it still hurts. But, but, but as, you're right. As a collector and as a fan, like you have that fever and you get panicked. Mm-hmm. You're saying, "Am I ever going to see this again at this price? Am I ever going to be able to find this comic ever again?" Mm-hmm. And I wrestle with that all the time. Oh, yeah. Because, but then at the same time, you you have to think. You're saying, "Oh well, I'm also paying five thousand dollars for a twenty-one page story that's four colors." That's amazing, mm-hmm. and then your your rational starts kicking in. But then your fanboy is like, mm, "You need it." Yeah, you well, because you're going, "Well, that's two house payments, probably." Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah, exactly. These are things yeah. where you're going, "This is the real world," and that money could be very much utilized in <laughs> yeah. the real world. Yeah, or I could just indulge my fantasy and pay all that just to have something that I can now brag and say, exactly. "I've got Fantastic Four number and then one." People in my house, look what I got. Yeah, right there. And, it's, yeah. it's equity. It'll go up, right? It'll be worth six in a year, probably. But really, do you do you buy? No, thinking I that. No, no, because no. I agree no, with no, you. No, no, but I would you justify buy thinking that. <laughs> I justify thinking that. But also, anything that's in my collection, I'm never selling. Because I, yeah. I agree. I buy stocks from the stock market, you right? Know, and that's a, that's the game. You buy yes. high. Buy low, sell high, all that. But, but that you don't love your stock. Exactly. I'm thinking <laughs> if I ever bought a Fantastic Four number one, that's going to the grave with me. Oh, absolutely. I don't care how much money it becomes. <laughs> yeah. This will be mine. Yeah. Then it becomes inheritance. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like gonna, my yeah. wife, I always tell her, because when I find like a sweet deal on a comic, 
Like uh, I found, um, so Tomb of Dracula had its original Ooh. run, and then it had the magazine yeah, the style, magazine. and those are hard to find. And I found a number one for like six bucks. Uh-huh. So I was like, "Look at this! This is worth like seventy bucks." She says it's worthless because you're never going to sell it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, it's worth something to me. No, but the, the statement is there to try and justify the collection, exactly. right? Mm-hmm. So it's like. Uh, yes, I have told Brooks the story of like, oh man, I you know I got two copies of Saga Number One, and three weeks later it was worth two hundred dollars every each copy. I gave one to Ryan, and I said, "You owe me lunch." There you yeah. go. Now, is it worth two hundred dollars today? <laughs> no, but that's okay. It, the comics increase in value sometimes. Uh, yes. By yeah. the way, I've got all the f- two Draculas too. <laughs> Some of them are, are hard to find. They are. Are, are yeah. there specific artists that you collect? Pretty much Gene Cullen was the only guy. Okay. It, the first few, the first couple of issues of Tuma Dracula were done by someone else. But Gene Cullen was pretty much the, the one guy. And then when they went into magazine format, they had different stories. So they did have different, like Mike Plug or Alfredo Akata. They, those guys would come in and do some fill-in yeah. stuff. But, oh. yeah, Gene Cullen and, and Mar, uh, Marv Wolfman were pretty yeah. much the uh, two guys. Doing oh, no, I mean across everything. Oh, like, are sorry. there artists that you, co- that you follow across books just because you like their art? Uh, yeah, well, right now, because it's funny you were saying, talking about Spider-Man, uh, Stuart Immerman. To me, is the, probably the best ongoing artist in the business today. That guy's work is flawless. I cannot see, I don't see how he does it on a monthly basis, and it's so good. Oh yeah, it's he in eight hundred. He has this moment. Uh, so the Green Goblin merges with the Carnage symbiote, and he uh. becomes a Red Goblin, and Spider-Man can't beat him. <laughs> so Venom gives Spider... I, I hate symbiotes. Uh, anyways, <laughs> so he gives it, but there's this great scene in... Uh, so Spider-Man 800 is broken up in five chapters, and Dan Slott took all the artists that worked with him, so each artist has a new chapter, and they're good. I is mean, that that $10 book? Yeah, it, it's fun. And, yeah, it's a good book. <laughs> if you So the art's good, but it gets to Stewart's, and he does the penultimate one uh-huh. where it's just a knockout drag out or spider-man and green goblin and he has this moment where spider-man rips off the symbiote and then uh, he goads the green goblin into ripping it uh, the red one off and there's this it's a spread page on both of them and on one side is spider-man like standing like this and the other side is the green goblin i'm uh-huh. like dude that guy just knows mm-hmm. he just knows the art form and he's yeah. pretty amazing phenomenal phenomenal guy yeah. yep makes me cry I'm like, I want to see him fight the Green Goblin. I don't want to see him fight the Red Goblin. <laughs> I'm tired of, like, now, like, they put push for the kids as the ultimate Green Goblin, where it's the monster version of the Green Goblin. Oh, yeah. I want him to wear the tunic. I want him to look like mm-hmm. a court jester. Mm-hmm. I want him to throw pumpkin bombs. See, but I get it. It's, you know, it's all serialized. Yeah. So if you stay the same, you become stagnant. Exactly. And you have to keep moving. Yeah. And I appreciate yeah. what Marvel or, or, you know, TV shows would do with something that's gotten some sort of pedigree to it that you really have to invigorate it in oh, some yeah. way mm-hmm. i mean he uh, I, well dan slot did make it fun because he also had uh norman infect his grandson with the red symbiote oh, so it's really? like they called him goblin kid goblin. and he tried he tried <laughs> to kill aunt may and i'm like this is kind of fun wow like a uh, little demon kid i'm like all right i'm yeah. down <laughs> but you wow. want to i think you always want to give we were talking about this with Star Wars yesterday. Oh, you and I were talking about this with um, with Buffy as well. Where like mm. you want to give the artist the freedom to sort of like take it in weird directions because you never know when next thing you know Spike's going to be in space with some with yeah. some bugs. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and sure, it's super weird and you don't know how you got there. But every issue is fun and you, you know you have a good time reading it. Mm-hmm. As long as I don't pick up an issue and I I read it and I go either man uh, that was a waste of five dollars <laughs> or. 
uh, I read it and I kind of go like, I, I don't, I'm not going to remember what, what happened next uh, week, you know? And, and um, this is probably what I take away having worked with Joss Whedon and all of the wonderful writers of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer who came in and wrote a lot of the comic books. If, that if you keep the core of who the character is, mm-hmm. you can have them put in any situation and it'll still be interesting. Because yeah. at the end of the day, stories are about people. And if you still are into what Buffy is or Spike is, if he's yeah. on this ship with all these bug creatures, but he's still Spike. Yeah. And if you read that story, and it was written by Jane Espenson, he's very much still Spike yeah. in, in every in every sense of the word, just in a very odd locale and, and what he's doing. Then I think you'll definitely accept or you'll be more accepting in what you're reading even though if somebody were to have pitched it to you, all right, I got it. Spike in space in a spaceship. How about that? Right. You're like, dude, that's, that sounds ridiculous. No, I'd never go for that. Yeah. But if you keep the core of the character, I feel, having worked with them, that I think whatever you put them in, it'll be justified. Yeah. I think you're right, too, because, you know, those, those characters enough, since there's so many dimensions that they can go to, uh-huh. you just accept it. You do. Yeah. You know, and, it's, and if you keep their voice the same and... Uh, consistent and in your case their body language the same yeah i buy it yeah yeah you know and And it's fun it is funny as you say that because then i started thinking back and i would go like oh man the most crazy shit has had right like how about how about dawn is five stories tall or (laughs) or a centaur for a day or like there's so many just bizarre Mm -hmm. things that you just get away with that as a reader is fun and i i move on or even as a as a you know i have a sneaking suspicion that's half of why joss wanted to go and make buffy in the comic books Mm -hmm. because he was telling me these are all ideas he had when the tv show was going on he wanted to put dawn as a as a a giant in the seventh season but they're like no you know it's the green screen and the cost prohibitive we could have never done that sort of thing right but coming into comics i'm sure once he got that it infection in his head yeah. saying oh i could do this i could do this i could do this i could do this yeah season eight just started to really come <laughs> together yeah. and say here this is the season i could have never that's what he should have titled it as the season i could have never done on television yeah and we'll just do everything and anything anybody's ever wanted to do yeah. i think that's why you know season eight is a great season but it kind of lacks focus yeah oh yeah because there's yeah, so yeah. many people like hey you want to write a buffy story uh-huh. write it this way we yeah. were we were just <laughs> making it up as we go along really yeah. there was no there was no ending point we were just everybody was just having fun saying oh we can do this like you said we can do this we can do this and then after about issue 25 everyone's going around going so this has been going on for about two and a half years now (laughs) are we going to end it because you know that's good that the audience is there but they're not going to stay there forever (laughs) we need to bring this season eight to an end and that's where they were like oh okay well let's say it's 40 issues yeah 40 sounds like a good round number and then that's what we sort of geared our uh, our direction towards. Because it, it I, I mean, and it seems each uh, subsequent season has gone down in issue count. I think the tolerance we've realized, or Dark Horse Joss have have realized, the tolerance of the audience is, or the the span, the attention span of the audience is not as great as we would think. Because of course, comics come out every month. If you were going to do a TV show, sure, you've got twenty two episodes, but that's within a general year. With comics, you have 22 issues. You're talking, what, 12, 20? That's almost two years going mm-hmm. into it. So they wanted to keep it more to the um, the attention span of the reader. So everything, yeah, has become a little shorter by consequence. I think it's, it's happening a lot, though, too, because even in television now, there's not too many more 22-episode seasons no, anyway. No, no. Right. They've yeah. really cut it down to 10 or 13 episodes mm-hmm. to make it more concise. And then I think it also helps. It builds up. 
anticipation for the next one. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. oh, it's been so long since I – because when did the last season of Buffy end? I think it was over a year ago. Uh, I didn't even know the last time it ended. Uh, well, no, season 11. No, yeah, it uh, would have been maybe six months now. Six months? Six months or so. Because they did the Giles miniseries in the middle. Right, in the middle. Uh-huh. That was fun. And now it comes out next week, I believe. The season 12, yeah. Yeah, the mm-hmm. first issue. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, don't worry, I have your variant uh, already uh, ordered, and you'll be at my comic shop. I love the regular cover. Everyone always seems to think it's it's like a fight between the <laughs> regular artist and the variant artist. No, it's it's oh, all no. the same inside. The, so. the only fight for me is I want your art, and <laughs> right. so uh, and that's that's it. I love <laughs> the the concepts, like because they're they're intentionally different. Like, yeah. all right, if I'm doing Buffy with a baby. The other cover is going to be maybe more mayhem or, or something different. Yeah. And I can appreciate that because we're not necessarily in competition with one another. It's just more preference at that so point. So do you think your, your variants are more for the fans and who've already been on? Because it seems because uh, even the previous ones, they're more story centric mm-hmm. where like Joe Chen, she would make really great looking covers. Uh. But it was more just like Buffy holding an axe yeah. or whatever. No, no, that was be. that was said in the uh, uh, at Dark Horse that. I don't have that style. I don't. I'm not a painter. I, I don't draw in that way. So they were saying we're, we'll get somebody to do the more quote unquote realistic covers to get the fans who aren't necessarily comic fans mm-hmm. to look at this and go, I'll pick this up because it does have this sort of realistic quality. And then we'll do the comic cover, which is where I would come in very well and just go on about it that way. So that was an intentional thing for Dark Horse. It wasn't. Let's do one cover and then a variant cover to make more money. It was more. Let's do one cover for the for the for the straights, yeah. and the <laughs> others for the in the nose. Well, I, I think they did a good job of like of coming up with a different sort of idea for each one. I mean, the the one that I of course go to is the chain, which I own. Every, I mean, I think for for thirty issues of Buffy, I just bought all the covers. Oh yeah, um, yeah, because I was an idiot. Cool. Um, <laughs> I did it. For, I did it for Rebecca Isaac's ones too, because the main covers were beautiful. But mm-hmm. the, the chain is a good example, right? You've got Joe uh, Chen's r- cover. Remind me of that too. I've, uh, it's, I've done it's so issue. Many. It's issue five. Your version is. Um, is the, uh, the I want the, you I want you oh, poster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. And then the 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 Joe Chen cover is her pulling off the right. face, mm-hmm. right? Which is such a mm-hmm. a telling thing sure. about that issue. Um, and then there's I think there's one more. Oh, oh, Paul Lee has a cover. Yeah, yeah. and that's Falling just a cool into a action. Pit of demons. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. just a really cool mm-hmm. action cover. And they all sort of serve something different, and they all look really nice on my wall. <laughs> um, but like they 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 talk to a different part of that book. Yeah, you know. That um, particular one, that's a situation, there, there, were, there weren't many, but every now and again, Joss will come in and say, with this cover, I want this. Oh, really? And Joss did say, hey, remember that, that old propaganda poster mm-hmm. of, I want you to join the army? Well, I want to do that just with Buffy. And I gave him that, and it was initially, all he had in his head was just the poster. Right. And I thought, okay, well, that's good, but maybe there's something more there. Mm -hmm. And as I read the story, I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting if maybe the girl is standing in front of a poster of Buffy doing that, and she has this look on her face like she's not sure, to give maybe more of a storytelling element to it. And that's how that came about. So it was very much a suggestion of something that was established, and then adding to it and making it more indigenous to the actual story. That's cool. Yeah, and that's why I bought. <laughs> that's why I bought every cover. For but usually they, they gave me carte blanche to do the covers. Like that's here, cool. just they would ask me, come up with a with ideas. 
and then we'll just choose the best one. Do you usually do it after you've drawn the pages, or do you do no, it after no. you've covers read the script? No, covers are usually done months in advance. Oh, okay. Sometimes the script yeah, you need them for hasn't the even been written. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, and that's for for previews. For previews, to, right, because you have to yeah. solicit like two months in advance or right. so. And did right. you did you draw on the logo, too, on your covers? Sometimes. I'm just a big fan. I mean, I'm a big fan of P. Craig Russell, and, and uh, John Byrne did it a couple of times. I loved that in comic books when somebody would incorporate the actual logo into the comic cover. So every now and again, and where I thought it appropriate, because funny enough, there's one of those in season 12 as well, <laughs> uh, where I thought it was appropriate, I'd try to incorporate the cover, but it was always with a bunch of other ideas saying, here, these are a bunch of ideas. I like this one where she's holding the cover or, and crushing it between her hands yeah, or something yeah. like that. So that was a very liberating. And they, after a while, because again, Joss, Joss is great because he, he's one of those guys, he gets good, good people to do the, what he wants them to do, and then he stays out of their way. Because he knows I got you for a reason. And as he becomes comfortable with you, his involvement becomes less because he knows you know what you're doing. I don't have to micromanage you. So more and more, I got really into the idea and how it should look. Yeah, because, you know, the one I remember the most vividly is Buffy's, like, falling back on a roof. And she has, like, a zompire, like, by the throat. And the, the logo's, like, yeah, tilted. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yes. it matches their body position. Mm-hmm. It's one of my most favorite covers. Yeah. Buffy looks so badass in it. The monster looks badass, and that's why I was just curious if you, because you can tell that the it's the the logos just mm-hmm. tilted enough that it kind of blends into the story. Yeah, if I remember, they're either hitting the logo or they wanted yeah. to sort of go yeah. and yeah, because yeah. they were in San Francisco or yep. something, and yeah. it's very hilly in San Francisco. <laughs> so yeah, just so and that's essentially how how stuff comes about. You know, you're going okay. Well, she's fighting a, a vampire. Well, everybody's seen that. She's done that in almost every book. So you're going, how do you make that more interesting? Okay, well, maybe it's on top instead of the bottom because most, as you all know, most of the artwork takes place below the logo. So I thought, well, maybe if we incorporated it above, but maybe they're hitting the logo because you can't not have the logo, and that's how it just comes about. You know, it's not like God saying, here, this is my divine purpose. It's more like this piece, this piece, this piece. Let's put it together. Because to me, I, I think my favorite Buffy is the kick-ass Buffy. And that's why I love that cover so much because yeah. she literally has that vampire by the throat, and the vampire is the zombie one, so it has the big right. They have jowl the bigger mouths. And it's yeah, pretty epic. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's one of the ones I always keep on display. <laughs> I like it too. No, yeah. I agree. It's good. It's beautiful. That's the beauty of what you do, and I think more so with Buffy than with any other title. Maybe a little with Serenity as well. I was very proud as an artist because I'm sure you've had other artists here and they've told you how we are the most critical sons of bitches in the world (laughs) and we never like anything we do. I am probably most proud of the stuff I've done on Buffy and Serenity because I had the freedom and, and the knowledge. I was really comfortable with that world because I knew it. I got it. I... I even called Joss on certain things. Buffy would never do this, or Giles would never do this. Those things, because I was so comfortable with what I was doing. I even, you know, took on the headman at some point. So, would you would you say that to Joss? What would Joss say? Joss is great. I mean, and of course, I could just as easily say. And his response was, "Well, thank you. We won't be working with you anymore." <laughs> but he is so good at that. He's like, "No, I really want to hear your opinion because if." There's something that you don't agree with, and you say you're a fan. If I hear your grievance, and if I can address it, 
I know I'm addressing a thousand other people who've had mm. that but don't have the voice to come and talk to me oh. directly. And he was very good about that. He, he gave me a reason for everything. Uh, the, the, probably the most famous, the two most famous ones was Buffy sleeping with another woman, which I did not get, and Giles being killed. And on both occasions, he oh. had to explain to me why this was going to happen before I drew it. Yeah. And after he explained it, did you still agree with your opinion or his? I understood where he was coming from. And, and it's almost like on the, on the uh, bridge of the Enterprise, you know, <laughs> as, as Will Riker can offer suggestions to the captain, that's his job. But at the end of the day, the captain says, this is what we're going to do. It is Joss who says at the end of the day, I've heard what you've said, and I either agree or don't agree with you, but this is what we're going to do. So you have to know and have the wherewithal to go, okay, I've aired my grievance. It either got shot down or in some cases Joss was like, you know what, you're right. I didn't even think about that. And well, let's go with what you said uh, or in that case. So it, it depend on what was going on at the time. Because a big thing I had, and, and this is where Joss just kind of shot me down, where it's like he didn't care as much. But I always thought when we were doing season eight, uh, and coming towards the end that Buffy still didn't know that Spike was alive because if you notice Spike comes back in Angel yeah but there was at no oh. point where you ever thought well how would Buffy know that you know because she was never yeah. there yeah, you're right. Angel never talked to her they never she never Angel came to Wolfram shows and up. Hart yeah. yeah so I asked him well where is that scene how come we never saw that scene why don't you do that and he was kind of like nah I'm, I'm not there anymore that's so old to me I will just, because he's always one of those guys. I won't just say no. I'll give you a reason. It may not be the reason you like, but I'll give you a reason. <laughs> and he thought, well, you know what? All right, here's your reason. Uh, Andrew told Buffy later on when they were in Italy and Angel and Spike came to find her. And Angel's, Andrew said to Spike, to uh, Buffy, hey, by the way, Spike's alive. And that's how he left it. And I was like, <laughs> oh, all right, okay. <laughs> I would have liked a little more emotion, but all right, you're the it's, you're the guy. It okay. seems like he thought he's like, oh wait, that's right, we don't explain it. Um, Andrew told her, yeah, that's it. Well, no, and it, it was, but in his mind, he's like, God, that was like 15 years ago. Yeah, that's you know, like I'm not there anymore. I'm here. I'm yeah, with yeah, yeah. What's happening now, not with what happened before. Can Can you tell us what he told you? What, like what his justification for Giles was? I mean, you know. Uh, yeah, now yeah. in oh, retrospect, no, no, it's no. like, oh, well, oh, yeah. that was no. to redeem those two characters. No, but. no, very much so. He had said at this point, Giles had become really unnecessary. Mm. He wasn't no longer Buffy's watcher, really, because she didn't really need one. And he was just in, and don't get me wrong, he loves Giles. He loved yeah. the character Giles. And he just said, basically, he was in the way. He just wasn't doing anything. He wasn't doing anything of note. So if I can make him go out on such a high note, I would rather do that than just have him sitting in the background just you know kind of hanging out oh, okay I, I was gonna say I, I mean i think he's more powerful as a character in angel and faith in his absence you know because like that ends up that that trek for them to try and and find him mm -hmm. and thereby redeem themselves like he is so present in that book even though he's not there um that yeah i i can see that like he becomes a really relevant character well, as then, soon as he's dead that's the beauty of joss yeah. After he, he makes this decision, this executive decision to go, yes, you are dead. And then the next <laughs> season, it's kind of like, if we were to bring him back, how would we do that? <laughs> you know, like, really, how would we do that? In Not just like, poof. Yeah. Exactly. It would be like, no, how would we earn that honestly yeah. to bring him back? And that was the crux that, of that, that becomes the hardest thing, right? Like when that book started and it was like, yeah, how do you write a book where you bring a guy back from the dead mm -hmm. in a world without magic? And, yeah. Like... Uh, uh, 
I, I don't I don't want to write that book. Yeah, that became the force <laughs> of Angel and Faith. Faith yeah. and Angel. And, yeah. and as fans, you know, you also think back to the show where Buffy died. Does he want to come back? And mm-hmm. you know that plays in Fair. my mind when I read it. Oh, well, every, remember every too when she died in season five, they didn't even know they were going to come back yeah. because it was yeah. changing uh, yep. television studios. Yep. Yeah. And that's what makes her um, her I guess soliloquy at the end where she's admitting that she was probably in heaven and you pulled her right. back into mm-hmm. this hell. Is well, so this is powerful. Joss Whedon. Yeah. You, know, you don't get away with something you want without some scars. Yeah. It's like, fine, if you want her back, I'm going to show you how bad a, a, an idea that was because she was in heaven. All you ever wanted her to be was happy. Mm-hmm. And now because I want to make you happy, I've brought her back. But look at that. I know a lot of people don't like season six. I love season six. I love six. season six. Because yeah. it's so dark. And oh, yeah. Buffy doesn't want to be there. Yeah. And people are dying. Well, like oh, Spike said, he's like, you came back wrong. Yeah. You know, and I thought that was very telling. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. Uh, what, what else can we look forward to you besides Buffy? Is that all you're working on? Right uh, that is a good question. I'm finishing up Buffy uh, as we speak. Uh, and from there, uh, the, the future, I could either say, looks very dismal or very bright. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I. I am telling myself that this is the year I'm going to do a creator-owned stuff. Oh. So I've had stuff just sitting there forever. But, of course, I've been busy with Buffy and right. American Way and, and all that stuff. So I think maybe now that there isn't anything looming necessarily on the horizon, I might be doing uh, creator-owned stuff. But Ooh. do you find that now that people know you're ending Buffy, you're going to start getting calls saying, hey, I have this? and uh, Maybe. Yeah. If, if that happens, that would be great. Yeah. Sure. I'd love – it's always a better – to be in a position where you can say no than <laughs> yeah. to be in a position to say, please, can I? <laughs> Anyone? Uh, well, as always, George, thank you for your time. Thank we you always guys. go like really no. long with you, and you're really generous with it. Not at all. I love your podcast, and I actually listen to it. Oh, <laughs> no way! On iTunes. <laughs> yes. I, I love, uh, I brag, uh, when you sent me the Satana, because you're still working on it, uh-huh. I said, look at this. Someone text me who's a superstar. <laughs> I am a sixth degree from Joss Whedon now. I'm oh, yeah. A, I'm, I'm only a two. This text message has the phone number for Joss Whedon. <laughs> yes. I've yes. had people shake my hand saying, this is the hand that shook Joss Whedon's hand, right? <laughs> At one point, yeah, And, and you go, no, no, I only left hand shake him. So, yeah, no, exactly. it's not. Yeah, so it's this one. <laughs> and, yeah, it's so weird. Uh, oh. But thank you so much, as always. Thank you, guys. It's yeah. always a pleasure. Yeah. Hopefully we'll do this again next year. For sure. Yeah, because that'd be great. You're going to be here. I'm going to tell him to send you here. Word. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another fantastic interview at Denver Comic-Con 2018. We had an amazing time, and we look forward to seeing you again next year. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout-out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening, and have a nice day.